hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. My happiness plug for the week is Death Valley Nails. Death Valley Nails creates salon-quality polish that is 10-free, vegan, cruelty-free, and non-toxic. Their polish is mixed by hand in small batches. I was clued into them at the start of quarantine, and I'm happy with my purchase. The polish lasted for weeks and was so vibrant. Also, my sister-in-law's birthday was recently, and I got her some polish and a candle. Um, They even make their own candles. The candles are handmade using soy wax and premium fragrance oils, and they make their own candle vessels as well, which is really awesome. It's a great gift. Overall, it's a super great small business to support. All of the information for Death Valley Nails will be in the description. As always, stay safe, well, and stay the fuck home. My guest today is transgender warrior Carolina Bersian. And when I started this podcast, my whole goal was to tell stories and have voices be heard. And so I'm very excited for her to share her story for the first time with my listeners. Um, So I'm really excited to share it with you. So let's just hop into it. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, you know, as well as we can, given the situation right now. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) One, One day at a time. That seems to be the motto, um, the motto these days. That's all we can do. Absolutely. Well, to my guests listening, you are listening to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. And today I have a lovely guest um, coming to me from Wisconsin, Carolina Bersian. Um, Would you like to give the 30-foot kind of overview elevator pitch about you and who you are? Sure, absolutely. Um, Well, like Bianca mentioned, my name is Carolina. I am a 48-year-old transgender woman. And I guess what kind of makes me unique in this grand scheme of things is that I only figured this out um, about a year ago at the age of 47. So I am definitely on the older side of things. And it has been a very interesting past year in my life as I've gotten to the point that, that, that I am now and kind of seeing where life takes me from here. Yeah, and I think that's really incredible. Um, you know, when starting this podcast, what I really wanted to do was tell all stories. And I've always kind of wondered how it's felt to be um, questioning your gender and then feeling like you don't fit in in that kind of role. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, but you and I, so I posted in where we both have the pellets on bike, and this is how yes. we met. We don't know each other in person, but we are internet friends now, which is awesome. Exactly. And um, so Carolina commented on a post I'd posted in the LGBTQ ally group for Peloton. Um, and uh, I just was really excited and, you know, really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, and I was thrilled to see that and, and very glad to um, connect with you. Um, it sounds like we also have, you know, we have a fair amount in common outside of Peloton, which is fantastic. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. Um, one of my side gigs, as it were, is a, a volunteer host on a radio station here in Madison, Wisconsin, once a month. And my friends are telling me, oh, you should tell your story. You should tell your story. But there I'm the host and I don't want to bore people. So <laughs> I'm thrilled to be able to kind of tell my story to the public for the first time 
here with you. Absolutely. I'm really excited about it. And uh, for me, I had this lofty goal of always wanting to be a podcast guest. I've been listening to podcasts for years. <laughs> always wanted to po- be a podcast guest. Never, you know, like never the bride, always the bride, you know, bridesmaid, so to speak. And so right. when I got laid off from my job um, as a marketing director, um, due to COVID and whatnot, I was like, okay, now's the time. I'm just going to start talking. And if people like it, then great. And if not, then it's just going to be on my portfolio, I suppose. So, yeah, absolutely. So it's absolutely. been really, it's been really cool. I mean, I've been having really amazing conversations with all walks of life, but um, my goal with this was always, if I can change, if I can make a difference in one life or make someone's, you know, help someone by telling their story that someone else can relate to, then I feel like I'm doing my job. And yeah, so it's really awesome to, you know, give you this platform. All right. So I guess we'll get into it. So um, imposter syndrome, that's pretty much, you know, very common among humans from what I'm understanding. But I guess my question to you would be, do you feel like you fit in? Do you suffer from imposter syndrome? In what ways? And what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Oh, imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's something I can completely relate to. Um, and it's something that I have been able to relate to for as long as I can remember. Um, growing up as a cis male, uh, I never felt like I fit in. Um, I never necessarily felt like a girl or a woman either, even I was growing, even as I was growing up, but I just never felt like I fit in as a boy. Uh, I have horrible hand-eye coordination. Um, you know, I couldn't, I didn't play sports very well. Um, it was just, it was just a lot of clumsiness on my part. I did well in school and that's kind of where I felt that I fit in the best. But outside of that, I've always had a difficult time interacting with people and socializing and things like that. And uh, I just, I struggle, I struggle every day even now with fitting in and trying to figure out what is quote normal and and what's not um you know once i got into college i started to struggle with depression i went through a period of time um questioning everything about myself and actually that was that was a period of time that lasted a really long time and you know i went through two marriages um I questioned my sexuality. I just kind of did all sorts of things, just trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. And it was just within the past year, a little bit over a year ago right now, that pieces finally started to come together. Um, Being transgender was something that had crossed my mind previously over the past, I'd say, 10 to 15 years. But it wasn't really something that I gave much credence to because to me at the time, it just felt like that was so far out there that it wasn't even a possibility. But as I read into it some more and just kind of sat with the idea, I realized that that that's who I was. And as I accepted that, I started to feel more comfortable in my skin than I ever had. Um, That's not to say that I don't suffer or I don't deal with imposter syndrome now because I do. I question some days whether I am feminine enough to be a woman and whether I 
pass or any of this sort of mm-hmm. nonsense that gets into your head. You know, I find myself, com- I find that I compare myself to other transgendered women on social media, which is just, it, it's horrible to try to compare yourself to anybody on social media, period. Um, but I just find it very difficult to look at some of this stuff and be like, oh my God, I am never going to get to that point. Um, I'm never going to look like that. What, they've been on hormones for one month? How come I didn't look like that after one month? Well, Photoshop and filtering goes a long way for one. And, you know, two, everybody is is different. And it's not about their journey for me. It's about my journey for myself. You know, what applies to me doesn't apply to the next person just like their journey doesn't apply to me, but I have to remind myself of that constantly so I don't lose sight of where I am. Um, So yeah, I definitely deal with imposter syndrome all the time. Well, that's a pretty incredible journey. Um, And I think the positives that I take away from that is that you're finding yourself which, you know, at 47, if you're, you know, RuPaul says, if you, if you don't love yourself, you know, how the hell is anyone else going to love you basically. Right. And so I, I think that for anyone listening that's struggling with their identity or struggling with these feelings of deep seated feelings of just not fitting in and questioning things, whether or not the journey is through gender or through their sexuality or, or in their career, I think that uh, people can take a lot from your story in the sense of, you know, it's, it's incredible to even hear that even at 47 and in the transgender community, you know, there's still this comparison, right? Like of, oh, well, I feel like I look masculine and stuff. But then again, as women, we do this all the time. Like, yes. welcome. It's not fun, honey. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it, it's funny because, um, you know, my husband is a, is a straight male and, and, and he, you know, he feels imposter syndrome in the military, but then I talk to other cisgendered straight men and they don't feel this way at all. And mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe they're just lying to me because shouldn't we all kind of have this feeling of like, am I doing it right? Am I fitting in? <clears throat> you know, where am I going from here? Um, but I think that your your journey to finding yourself is something really powerful, and I'm excited for you. And I mean, I'm excited to watch your journey. That's really cool to me. Well, thank thank you. I really appreciate that. And you know, it has it's it's been it's been an interesting time so far. And I do feel more at peace with myself overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I still struggle with depression. That's not going to go anywhere. But it has, I don't know, I feel like I have a better understanding of things. I have a better understanding of myself than I ever have before. Um, I mean, I, we are all works in progress, and I'm going to be a work in progress until the day I die. But I've taken a big step. And it makes me realize that that the path I had been traveling for 47 years was not the right path Mm -hmm. and it's okay to switch gears in the in the middle of of your life just because you've been doing something for so long if it's making you unhappy and you find something else that makes you happy take take that leap take that leap it's okay it's scary as hell but take the leap you'll be better off for it never tell yourself that you're too old or you're too scared um, you know, if, if at all possible, make that jump. And, 
you know, I'm not going to lie. It's been, it's been rough at times. It cost me a long-term relationship. Um, but at the same time, I've come out of it happier, healthier, and just more comfortable in my own, in my own skin. I think that's, you know, super incredible and, and just great advice for anyone, any age, no matter what they're going through is that, you know, life is, life is, you know, it, life is what you make it on one hand, but at the same time, life is too short to be sitting in a skin that you feel uncomfortable in. And I, I love that, you know, you, you said it doesn't matter what age you can make that change because I, I think so. I'm like, so for me, like in, it's, it's interesting as I've, as I've kind of aged and become an adult and gone through the stuff in my career and whatnot. Um, the resounding thing that's, you know, that, that I've found for me and what makes me happy is when I'm unequivocally myself. Yes. And I'm loud. I guess I've said this on my podcast many times. I'm loud. I dress like a, I dress like Miss Frizzle. I'm, I'm the loudest person in the room. I'm an extrovert. I'm just very like out there in your face. And that is not everyone's cup of tea. And I ended up finding someone that when I was trying to date and all of that, I ended up finding someone that just accepted my weirdness and was like, let your yes. freak flag fly. Yes. And because I have that support system for me, I'm finding that I'm, I'm I've, I've found my voice in more ways than one. And, but also I think there's a lot to be said in having a really strong support system. And, and I, from, from what you've told me, it sounds like you do have one. I, I do. Um, even though I was scared shitless to come out to them, my whole family has been extremely supportive. You know, my mom, my dad, um, my son, uh, both of my ex-wives. <laughs> I mean, I have not had a negative experience and I am so blessed. I'm so lucky to have that because I know how difficult it can be for people that are coming out. Yeah. Um, you know, you hear horror stories mm -hmm. and I was raised in a very, um, very open, very caring, very liberal home. And even though I had a feeling I knew how things would go, it's still scary until, until you're there. And then my poor son and my poor dad, they found out about it through social media. Um, oh, no. <laughs> my son stumbled across my Instagram account as my new self. And he asked me about it and chicken shit that I was at the time. I lied to him. Oh no, that's not me. That's gotta be somebody else. Oh. Well, an hour later I texted him back and I said, yes, that's me. Let's talk. And he was very cool with it. Um, I think he still kind of has difficulties with it at times, but I understand that. Um, mm -hmm. But he loves me. I love him. And he knows that even if he is, even if he might be still grasping what's going on with yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think there's a lot to be said too, that the media has kind of softened. Yes. This and actually kind of paved a, a way, a, a way forward. Um, and then I've, I was, I've been having conversations with some of my friends who are parents. Um, and I've said, you know, gosh, you know, the kids, the kids of tomorrow are going to be so woke in so many ways in the sense of they're going to be empathetic and caring and, po and politically 
you know, smart and, and, and just because they're, they're being raised with kindness. Now, when I was a kid, I was told I was special. You know, I, I was, I was of the generation of you're special and you're unique and you're great and yep. you're really, and you're really not, you're just a person. <laughs> and I think that, and then I, you know, I, I think for me, um, I grew up in a somewhat conservative household. I went to college in a very conservative school. I had very conservative views for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, my journey to becoming an ally, it, it, it was really kind of interesting. I went from wishing that this gay person in college would want to date me, like thought I could change him to date me, which is, you can't, fun fact. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and just being the most, just being the most, uh, sorry, there's like a person at my door, my dog might bark. There's a, you know, being the most insecure with like, not knowing how to be an ally to now I'm sitting on a board of directors that helps LGBT youth. And I'm, you know, I'm at every pride event there can be. And I'm, you know, rainbows and butterflies and all of that. (laughs) But because I I have a strong LGBT friend group and I've chosen that because I am not close with my family Mm -hmm. and they are my family. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. I know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, to back up a little bit, I came of age kind of in the, during the early days of the AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in the 80s. And to be gay or to be lesbian was, I hate using these words, but it was horrific, <laughs> as it were. And um, it <laughs> took a lot of time and some encounters with some good friends of mine who were part of the gay community at the time to kind of get me to look at things a little bit differently. And I am very grateful for that. This was in the early to mid nineties that my views really started to change, but it is about time and place. And in the eighties and early nineties, transgender was seen as, um, was seen as an aberration. Mm-hmm. It was not seen as something, you know, I was not seen as something um, normal or acceptable. It was really outside of the pale. Um, gays and lesbians were starting to gain more acceptance. And I'm very grateful to both my elders and my youngers because I think all of the hard work that they've put in have made it to a made it to a point where it has been easier for me to come out as Carolina. Um, I'm very fortunate also to be living in a very liberal area and work at a company that has a lot of LGBTQ employees. And, you know, I've been met with nothing, nothing but acceptance from coworkers and, and everybody else. And I have made, many, many friends through the community and they're, they're like family. They're like yeah. family to me. And it's, it's just wonderful. Yeah. And I, the, the, you know, again, I think for, for you and your journey and, and everyone's journey right now, like there couldn't be a better time. And, you know, if this was 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, you wouldn't have felt comfortable to come out. You wouldn't have felt comfortable to choose this identity. And there probably wouldn't have been enough information 
I think, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about the technology we have nowadays, how much information is out there, how much more of a global lens we can have. Um, and so I definitely think it's, time is of the essence, but there couldn't be a better time for anyone struggling with their identity to feel like there's a support system out there. Yep, I agree with that. The internet is, for the cesspool that it can be, it is also a wonderful <laughs> resource and you can meet some amazing people out there. And um, if you're lucky to live enough, lucky enough to live in a place that has a strong in-person community, that's fantastic. But even if you don't, there is the internet and there are lots of online resources that you can get and people that you can meet. And I mean, given the way things are right now, that's really the only way that we can do things right now. So, absolutely, (laughs) Yeah, um, I went from a relative, I mean, Denver had a pretty strong LGBT community, but it was a small, a lot smaller. Um, And, and I, I had a, a few a few LGBT friends, you know, here and there that I, I'm still close with from Denver, but I lived there for nine years after college, and I moved to San Diego a year ago, and the difference in size and oh, yeah. acceptance, and not that Denver's not accepting, but holy cow, it was like a sucker punch. I mean, there's a dedicated gayborhood, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. Hillcrest, and I, I mean, if I'm going out, I'm not going to North Park, which is, you know, you know, kind of hipstery. I'm not going to these other neighborhoods. I'm not going to Pacific Beach full of the bros. I'm going to Hillcrest. Sure. I'm going to Hillcrest sure. and I'm going to, to drag nights and I'm doing this and I'm doing that because I, that's, that's what, what I want to do. That's how I want to spend my money. That's, that's how I want to, you know, spend time with my friends. And, and, and I've felt such a community and actually Hillcrest was the first to shut either, shut their doors in San Diego. Mm, they, okay. they were like, okay, like, this is going to be bad. We got to like shut it down because there's an organization out here called Moe's and they own a number of the bars uh, mm-hmm. up and down Hillcrest um, in this street. And yeah, they were the first to shut things down. And then it just kind of everyone else sort of followed suit after that. But definitely I miss the community and I miss like, and I miss that, but I'm hoping that, you know, when it all eventually resumes at a new normal that, you know, we still have that community yes. on the other end. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think in some ways we're going to come out of this stronger than we went into it because I'm hoping that we all realize through these months, seemingly months of isolation, how much we need other people. I mean, I'm a horrible introvert and I'm desperately missing the face-to-face contact with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I've taken it for granted that, uh, gosh, people, oh, what am I going to do to now truly missing it and hoping that sometime soon I can get together with my friends and we can sit around and laugh about nothing like, you know, we've done before. Yeah. I um, mean, yeah, I'm at that point too, where I'm just like, man, I, I, I even would just go to like a 10 person birthday at this point. Like, yes. yes. Like, and, and it's, it's funny. Cause I feel like it's going to, it's changing the way. I mean, I found out that many of my favorite activities are non-essential, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, bars and, and bars and restaurants and that kind of stuff. But I'm also finding too, that it makes me appreciate being home so much more. And I, I, I'm, I'm a person that like, I'm such a social butterfly that I'm out every night on the weekend and 
always have plans and they're stacked, stacked, stacked. And I'm, I'm because you know, I'm an extrovert, right? So I, yes. I'm always making plans. And now I'm finding that time is precious yes. and it's making me realize what's most important. And it's for me now moving forward, I think I would probably get a lot more from a bottle of wine and cards against humanity with a couple of friends than I would from going out to the bars and restaurants. And that's, that's unfortunate, but this is the way the pandemic has kind of shaped my brain now where I'm like, I would much rather have intimate time with the people I care about than going place to place. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can see that. I mean, if there's one thing we're discovering during all of this is that, you know, like you said, time is precious. Life is precious. Our connections with other people are even more precious. And when you get them yanked away from you like this, it makes you realize how much you, how much you miss them and how much you need them. Yeah. Um, And yeah, that's, that's been tough. That's been real tough. Yeah, it's, it definitely has been. And going back kind of towards the conversation of imposter syndrome, I guess, um, especially in this pandemic, like it's tough to find the joy. It's tough, it's tough to feel successful, but currently do you feel successful and what does success look like to you at the moment? Getting up in the morning is success, I guess. No, not, not quite that (laughs) bad. I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm lucky enough to have my job and to be able to work from home. So, you know, I I do get up every day. Um, That's a level of success right now. Outside of that, you know, getting on the Peloton four or five times a week is success to me. Um, You know, beyond that, I don't know. I've never felt really successful in my life there are chapters that I have felt success in Um, watching my son grow up from, you know, a baby to he turns 21 in a few weeks. And unfortunately for him, the bars are going to be closed, but um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but that's, that's been a huge success. I'm very proud of the, the way that, that he's grown up and, you know, his, his, you know, my ex-wife, his mom, um, deserves so much credit for that, but that's a success to see him become a smart, um, and driven young man. Um, you know, I've been able to be in the same field, the same job field for 20 years. So that's a level of success. I'm more happy now than I was before. So that's a level of success too. I think for me though, the underlying success isn't defined by my job or how much money I make. It's whether or not I feel any sort of happiness mm-hmm. and any sort of comfort. Um, I think that's success to me. And right now, you know, for the most part, all things considered, I am pretty happy. Um, you know, there are things that could be better. No, no doubt about that. But um, all in all, I guess I, you know, by that measure of success, I am successful. I like that answer. And I think that's, that's hopeful to me, you know, and I, I, I'm finding that, you know, that you can't really measure yourself in like, oh, well, I have the dream job, or I've got, you know, the monetary things. I think Mm -hmm. that for me, I'm, I'm measuring my success currently with, okay, well, my friends are checking in on me every day and 
my husband is out to sea, but he sent me flowers. That was nice of him. You know, like, yeah. like, you know, things, things that are, that are, that I would have probably never thought twice about until now that I'm like, oh, like I have, you know, a really strong support network and I'm very proud of, of kind of the, I think, think for me, I measure my success and how good of a person I am. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sound, you know, like, a martyr or anything like that but I, I i truly try to do well and do good by people and i'm a networker and I, i'm always trying to throw business people's way to make sure that like my friends are taken care of and um and i and i found that that's when i feel the most successful is when i'm helping others and being a good person and then you know helping others achieve what they need to achieve yeah, that, I think that's a great measure of success too. I don't think that there is one single mm-hmm. measure of success. Uh, it really is an individual thing. And I think that sometimes we get caught up in this whole idea that to be successful, you have to get to a certain point in your career and you have to make X amount of money and um, have this many kids and all this other stuff that I think that more than anything, it just adds a lot of undue pressure and um, burden on you to, to chase that level of success. I mean, you know, I know, I know that there are people out there that are more than happy with um, a very simple life and that's fantastic. You know, whatever, whatever makes you happy. I'm, I'm all for that. And it was, I've gone through phases where it felt like I was so far behind in my career and I needed to make more money and all of this other stuff. And it just gets to a point where where you realize none of that matters. None of that matters. What's it doing to you? What's the cost? Um, I mean, if that's your definition of happiness, that's great. Um, But I also encourage people to take a look at what else defines success. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think that's valid and, and it makes, it makes total sense because, you know, we all measure it differently and, and, you know, I've got, I know people that were perfectly content, you know, staying in my hometown and, and I just was not, that was not for me. And, but then I've got, you know, friends that have traveled the world and that's how they're, you know, that that's how they found happiness. So you're right. It is a true measure of whatever you want to make it. It's up to your interpretation. But I think, that you make a good point that, you know, success and the societal, the societal pressure of success is not how we should be living our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Live with purpose. Yeah, you, you certainly do. And I think that's another reason that I'm, I've been kind of grateful for this forced shutdown for slowdown of life in general. It has given me time to kind of reassess things and take a closer look at, at, you know, what I want out of life. Um, There's nothing like being forced to slow down. You know, I've always said, I want to slow down. I want to slow down. Well, now I've slowed down because I've had no other choice. Um, And it's been, it's been great from that aspect because it's kind of helped put into focus some of the things that are important to me that I didn't, you know, either hadn't paid enough attention to or didn't realize that they were that important to me until they're staring me in my face. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had a lot of that too. I, it's, it's, it's been interesting kind of how I've racked and stacked my priorities because I've had to. Yeah, yeah. So 
I think, you know, there's so much more we could be saying about imposter syndrome and, and success and, and all of that. And I think, but I think we've definitely touched on it. And um, let's move on to kind of the things that make you, you. Sure. So what are one or a few things that you're fanatical about and why? So my example is that I am currently obsessed with 90 Day Fiance's Big Ed. I don't know why. <laughs> I have been in his live stream three times now. My friend, I have a friend that, that his friend really wants to be on Big Ed's live stream. His mom has a stage four terminal cancer. And I have beat her out every single time and I've gotten on it. And I don't know what it is. Like last night I opened a bottle of Malbec and that was what got him to choose me. I don't like, I couldn't tell you. He lives in San Diego. He's a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's got a little fame, but you know, he's just, he just launched a platform for anti-bullying, which I think is really commendable because people are so mean to him. And I mean, okay, like put yourself in his shoes, right? Okay. So you're in your fifties, you're, you're dating for the first time after a long time. You get duped in a long distance relationship. You go there. It's a third world country. You're not used to it. She's basically calling you ugly and Tagalog uh, and grossed out by you. And then, and, and it's not working. And he was trying desperately to make it work. So what came on camera, you know, thankfully he can laugh at himself, but also I just don't get the hate. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. I have a love-hate <laughs> relationship with reality shows. Um, I mean, because little of so little of what you see is actually real. Right. So much of it's manipulated. Um, but yeah, there are people behind these stories, and mm-hmm. they're kind of used in a way that the producers want you to see them, and it doesn't always tell the whole story. So. You know, I haven't watched 90 Day Fiance. Maybe I should check it out. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty trashy. I will say on your point though, before we launch into, you know, the, the lovely things that you've mentioned on your she um I did I did a production assistance for Kitchen Nightmares for one episode. Oh, okay. So I've seen it in action. Yeah. And I've seen what what I knew to be true and what came on the screen. Uh-huh. And it was just like totally shocking to me because you were there and you were helping and and you're like, wow, <laughs> this is, this is like not what I lived through. So it's interesting. Yeah. 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 It's all about the, all about the ratings, I'm sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. But okay. So what, what am I, what am I into? Um, hockey. I am big into hockey. Um, I actually play in a league here in Madison. It's the Madison Gay Hockey Association. And it is the world's largest gay hockey association. We had close to 200 members this year and 14 teams broken up into two divisions. There was like a um, beginner division with eight teams and then an intermediate division with six teams. And I got turned on to it um, by a coworker who... um, had been in the league for a few years. She's like, you got to try this out. You got to try this out. She's known for um, really spreading the word about it at, at our workplace. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll check it out and see. I mean, I had not been on skates in probably 35 years. Mm-hmm. And even when I was on skates, I was not coordinated at all. Um, so I really questioned what I was even thinking about doing, but I was told and assured time and time again very beginner friendly. It doesn't matter if you don't know how to skate. We're going to teach you, you know, you're going to, you're going to learn. And 
part of me is like, yeah, okay, maybe. And then the other part's like, there's just no way. There is no way. Mm -hmm. Well, sure enough, um, they, you know, they, the first roughly uh, six weeks of the season, which was from like September through mid-October, it was all about learning how to skate, learning how to handle your hockey stick and, and the puck, how to pass, how to move around. I mean, all of this stuff. And, you know, by the time games started, I could at least skate, not well, but I could skate. But as the season went on, I could not believe how much better I got. Um, and it was such a blast. But more important than the than the playing hockey was the the friendships that I made. I mean, here you have 200 people that identify as LGBTQ. Um, there are some allies thrown in as well. Um, it is inclusive in that way, but you know, if you're if you're an ally, you have to be vetted a little bit to make sure that you understand what the league is about and you know what is and is not tolerated. Mm -hmm. But you know, coming out as trans and coming out as queer months before, I had no community, no community whatsoever. And the minute I walked in, all of a sudden I had a community of about 200 people. Um, even if I didn't know them, they were, they were family. And there was like a group of a group of 10 or so of us complete newbies that formed a very tight bond. Um, we, chat every day um i'm the oldest one in the group by far <laughs> but that's okay nobody cares nobody cares we all have something in common and you know the friendships unfortunately i was not on a team with any of them this year but the friendships that we formed on and off the ice are just i can't even begin to describe how important they are um how meaningful they are and you know, the role that they've played in me kind of continuing to break out of my shell and become the person that I am. Um, the whole goal of the league was to provide a, um, a safe space for LGBTQ people. Um, yeah. The, the founder of the league had, you know, grown up playing hockey, I th think. And, you know, other, other gay other gay people that have played hockey can attest that, you know, most hockey locker rooms are pretty um, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, just about any kind of phobic that you can list. And so for a lot of people, it was not a comfortable environment, um, even though they love to play the game. But what this league does is it tosses all that nonsense out the window. It's meant to be a safe space. And they don't care if you are gay, if you're making other people feel uncomfortable or unsafe, you're going you're gonna to be asked to change your ways, um, which is the way that it should be. I know that, you know, in society, we can't always tone police that kind of stuff. But in a, in a league like this, where the whole point is for people to feel comfortable, you certainly can. And I, you know, support that in, in this case. Um, but just to have just to have a place for all of us to come together and share in a common activity was just amazing yeah um 
And unfortunately, the season was cut short um, by about three weeks um, because of because of all of this. Um, and we were bringing um, a uh, we were going to have a team trans friendship series in Madison. It would have been a couple of weeks ago. Um, basically, they're um, kind of backstory on this back in November out in Boston, a group of trans hockey players got together. And for the first time that it is known, at least in the United States, a sports team was made up of all of transgender individuals. Wow. It was, it was a big deal. It was actually in the New York times. Um, and so we were going to have that here in Madison and we've joked because of the size of our league you know, we could field at least one team trans just for Madison hockey players alone. Um, but we were going to break it up into three different levels of skill. So everybody would have plenty of chance to play. But again, that was, you know, that was the casualty of, of all of this as well. So we're hopeful that it will still happen, but at this point we don't know, but yeah. bottom line is, is this has just been, this has been life-changing for me. Yeah. So I love, I love that. And I, um, to my listeners listening, um, and Carolina will, you know, she echoed that. If you have a sports, even if you don't like sports, join your gay association sports league, whatever it might be, whether it's dodgeball, kickball, softball, because I have a friend in Denver that he, he was, you know, one of my exclusive gay male friends, one of my, one of my dear, dear friends. And he felt so alone and then he was like, well, you know, my friends told me to join this kickball league. So he did it. He now, like, he, he met his partner through it. He's got a whole group of friends. They're going on trips together. I mean, before this whole situation. Yep. But, I, I mean, the, the world of difference that has made in his life, and it gave him community when he felt quite alone. That, to me, I will always champion it. I say, if, you, if you've got the opportunity to join something where you are understood and there's no judgment, go for it. So I love that. And I definitely, you know, want to support in whatever way I can. And I'm hopeful that when this all blows over that, you know, the league can start back up and you can do those trans teams. Cause that sounds pretty freaking incredible. Yeah. I'm sorry. I missed out on the first opportunity. I was really excited to be a part of it this time around. Um, it will happen again. It's just a question of when, but yes, I, I, I cannot speak highly enough of, um, the experience that I had and you know are there disagreements and conflicts of course there are when you have that many people together it's not all going to be you know rainbows and unicorns it's just not you're going to have some personality clashes and and that's life but at the same time you will find people there that that you are instantly bound to in one way or another and you know, like I said, it's, it's family, you know, these, these other people, they're my family now. And we have, like I said, we chat daily. Um, you know, there was a while there when we were all watching the Tiger King and going back and forth on how crazy that show was. Um, (laughs) and then the next day, you know, somebody can bring something that's troubling them in their life and we're all there to offer support. And, like I said, being an introvert, I don't know that I would have found anything like that elsewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, hockey brings you, the hockey is the reason that you're all together in the same place, but 
there's so much more to it than that. And if you right. are, if you are a member of the LGBTQ community, I, I'm in agreement with Bianca, do it, find a sports league. Um, and, you know, it is, it is one of the best things that, that I've ever done. Yeah, I, lo- I love that so much. And, and in, in talking, it, it kind of reminds me of Peloton a little bit in the sense that, <laughs> that you buy this bike and, you know, for the sole purpose of, because I, I mean, I bought the bike not knowing that it was going to unlock so much. I mean, I've met so many people through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of think about it in that regard, too, that, you know, you're not like you started for hockey, but now you, you've got this community and you've got family and you've got friends that understand you and they're there for you. And I think that that's really incredible. So, so I guess like two points Two one, if you're LGBTQ and you are feeling like you have a lack of community, join a sports league, especially when it all blows over or join or volunteer or, or get to your community center. Yep. And two, if you buy a Peloton, um, join whatever group interests you and join and lock into that community. Those are the two takeaways. <laughs> yeah. And if you get a Peloton, stay out of the, stay out of the main Peloton group. <laughs> oh my God. That thing is so toxic. I don't so even toxic. go in. I don't even go in there. She doesn't even go here. I mean, I just, I, it's, it's. I, I dropped that ridiculous. group after I joined it, but yeah, I'm in, let's see. I, I know that I'm in the LGBTQ plus allies group and the um, XXL um, group and both of those have been so supportive and, and so much fun to be a part of um, even if I'm not super active in them other than just reading yeah I love that <laughs> yeah I'm in uh, way too many groups uh, and but I I don't really actively participate in any of them mm-hmm. the main crew that I'm in we they ride at five in the morning uh. although I don't really know if they do anymore because of quarantine right um, but I I'm not a morning person. Um, I really am not. And I, when you don't love what's going on in your life and you're frustrated in your job, the last thing you want to do is get on a bike at five in the morning. So I, I kind of fell out of habit with riding with them because I would sometimes ride at five 30 or six, but I mean, I couldn't, I just, it got to the point where I was like, it's too early for me. I have to like, I have to skip it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so then I started writing and I, I write at all hours of the day now. I don't really have a schedule, obviously. Um, but I love it. And I love that it's, you know, connected me to you and absolutely a, a, a wealth of people in this community that are just really incredible. And, um, you know, the commonality is like, we all have the bike, but I, you know, the bike is not what defines my life. And I, it was interesting because up until yesterday, when I interviewed uh, someone else from the group, I had not actually ever talked about Peloton on my podcast, which I thought was crazy <laughs> because I have the bike. I've had it two years. I've ridden it a thousand forty-three times, oh, forty-six times. Wow! And well, I said—I I mean, I set a goal, and I was like, uh, I just kept smashing through those goals. So I was like, well, just a thousand by two years, and I hit that right before quarantine shut everything down. And I was the first a thousand milestone ride in the San Diego showroom. Oh, wow. And they didn't realize it was a thousand. And they're like, oh, a hundred. And I was like, no, can you grab another zero? It's a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> like, and while I was riding, so my husband got 150. I was riding, um, we're riding the showroom and it's a brand new showroom. It's really beautiful. Um, and they sold seven bikes wow. while I was riding because wow. 
they were using me, me as a sales tactic and I was just like, that's <laughs> fine, whatever. And it's, and it's like, I got my shout out and I like scream. I was like, yes, it was Alex. I was like, bah! and like everyone just like kind of jumped around me and I have headphones in. I'm just like dancing to the music, like not a care in the world. And when I first got the bike, I actually did a showroom ride when they did HRI, which is the home rider invasion. They did, uh, they, they let you go to the showroom and you could go to whatever your local showroom is and ride live. So that like, you know, as a sales tactic or whatever. Oh, sure. I had 25 rides. This lady was next to me in Denver. I only had 25 rides and she's like, Oh, I'm so-and-so on the leaderboard. I go, okay, cool. I have a thousand something billion rides or whatever it was. <laughs> and I just thought I'm never going to get there. I'll yeah. never get there. Never in a million years. And then I realized, oh, you stack rides. That's how you do it. Like you do a cool down and a warm up. Duh. So in the last year I have ridden so many short rides. And, and so I, I, I agree with you. The OPP is, which is the official Peloton page is trash. Um, It's full of, it's full of assholes, but there's a notion that you don't really earn your milestones when you do short rides. And it's like, look, look, dude, it's my bike. It's my ride. Like time on the bike is time. Yeah, exactly. So what, you know, and, and, and you can't tell me that me getting to a thousand in less than two years wasn't dedication because I took the same dang Cody 10 minute climb for months. I had this, I had the same stacked routine. I mean, I could, it was to the point where Christine would say something and I'd go, my husband would be sitting in the office while I'm riding and, he, and, and I would go like tour de France. And he was like, Oh my God, do you know everything they're saying? And I'm like, yes. But they started adding more short rides. So actually it made it really easy towards the end. Um, nice. Ben, Al, ben Aldis is a great one uh, for climb rides. And that's actually how I gained my strength up in there is, is, is climbing. So I, I do 10 minute climbs whenever possible because you really can get your strength up and then you're actually able to do, do quicker. So faster cadence at a higher resistance eventually. So sure. that's just my pro tip. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've been doing the six week intro to your bike because I got my bike in late January and I'm just now really spending some quality time with it, but I have discovered that I really like the climbs. Yeah. Um, I've, always had strong legs even if the rest of me has been like putty um so i've discovered though that that the climbs are great because i can really motor through those and i can do higher resistance in the slow um pedal rate and it's it's fantastic i just love it (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's it's my like it's my little pro tip i tell anyone that's just starting out is like if you think you can't because because like you know my friends have gotten the bike and they're like oh my god like i how do you how do you have this many and i I don't my outputs are not that great but i i'm consistent and that's but that's because you know two years my legs are made of marble at this point like right like all of my strength is in my legs and and so, um, but I think, I think starting with the beginner program is really a smart idea, but my other advice is always just, um, find the instructor that speaks to you because not yes. every instructor is going to work out. Um, there's certain ones I will not ride. Yeah. Uh, at all, like to the point where I just know. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 uh, there's certain ones that I'll ride on a rare occasion if someone's got a milestone and every time I'm like, Ugh, 45 minutes with this guy like right right. but you know for the community you do it (laughs) exactly and that's one of the nice things about this whole kind of 
bike basics is that you get exposed to a wide variety of the instructors. So you can begin to say, yeah, I really like this person or eh, this one I'm not so sure about, but, um, but yeah, I, you know, actually you mentioned Ben as an instructor and I took one of his 30 minute or 20 minute beginner rides when I was kind of early into it and I did not care for him one bit. <laughs> but this morning I did like a uh, 20 minute low impact ride with him and he was great. So it's like, you know, got to give, got to give him more than one shot. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that the first time I ever rode with him, I was like, mm, not for me, honey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't shut up. And I was like, oh my gosh, like be quiet. <laughs> like you don't have to talk about queen. Right. You know, they're right. British. Like we know you're British, like just chill. Yeah. And, but then I, um, so what actually really did it for me was I, he would have 10 minute or he had to have 10 PM rides. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't ride in the morning, I'd ride at night. And the UK doesn't have as many riders as the US oh. does. And, it, and so I'm three hours behind the East coast time. Yep. Right. So it's 10, it would be like 10 PM here. And I would smoke all the people on the leaderboard. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, this is fun. So now, so now I like Ben, but there was a time where he was on my no, my no list. Yeah. 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 It's, it's been, it's been fun. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting more into it. <laughs> so I'm reading ahead and yes. I just got, I just chuckled because <laughs> I read your unpopular opinion oh. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Okay. So what is one or a few unpopular opinions you have and why? Okay. And I, I'm probably going to take a lot of heat for this, but bring it on. I think friends is garbage. The TV show Friends is lousy and overrated and not funny at all. <laughs> um, I don't agree nor disagree. I think there's a level of uh, my childhood that I, so Friends is what, 25 years old now? Oh God, um, is it really? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And they, I went to a pop-up in New York City when I was there for Peloton. My friend and I got tickets by, a, I don't know how. We got tickets I sat, I got up at 4am to get these tickets so we could go to this pop-up and it was just like exactly what you'd expect. Mm -hmm. All it was, was Instagram opportunities. So you just like took photos with like in the pivot area with the staircase and oh, yeah. the door and that. And I mean, it was fun, but people, what was annoying the crap out of me was people would go, okay, well now I want it on my phone. And I'm like, there's airdrop. Like there's a thing called airdrop. <laughs> like there's a thing called Google drive. Like you can, yes you can text each other the photos. So you'd be waiting in line to sit in the recliner and then you'd be waiting in line to sit at the couch. And, and so it's just like, so that's, that's my most recent foyer into friends. Oh. But when it's on, when it's on TBS, I just, I put, I throw it on in the background cause I'm by myself, but yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I agree. I, I think like for me, for me, it's nostalgia and it's childhood. But mm -hmm. if you remove the laugh track, I feel like it'd probably be really bad. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, and it's not a commentary necessarily on the actors because, you know, I think Matt LeBlanc is funny. Jennifer Aniston has gone on to do some fantastic things. Um, it's just, I don't know, just the combination of it, the premise of it, it kind of seems removed from reality, especially in New York city, but I don't know. It just, it just never struck a chord with me. Um, I guess I would have been of the age that, that they were supposed to be when the show was on and maybe it was just envy. I don't know, but it just, <laughs> it just stuck with me that, uh, I don't like this. 
So anyway, there you have it. Oh, you're fine. You're <laughs> fine. I, um, I, I know a few people who have a similar opinion, so that's totally okay with me. And I'm not offended. <laughs> I'll still rock smelly cat to the moon. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so what's making you current, uh, currently making you happy in the world, um, especially among this pandemic and the quarantine and all of that, you know, how are you finding the joy? Well, we've already talked a lot about Peloton, so I'm going to leave that one be. Um, other than to say that I'm, you know, the one one of the positive things about this whole thing is that I really have been able to get into a good pattern and a good rhythm with exercise, which has made a big difference in my mood. Um, but outside of that, I think the things making me the happiest right now are my partner, um, my our cats, and our dog. Um, those all bring me so much joy. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful partner. She is so understanding, so caring, so loving, and I am very, very grateful to have her um, in my life. I love that. And that makes me so happy. Like my heart just got like warm fuzzies. <laughs> <laughs> and pets are pets are a gift. Pets are a they true are. gift. They are. Even when one of the cats is clawing up my head at two o'clock in the morning because she wants me to move my head on the pillow so she can lay there. Um, I, it's still all good. <laughs> yeah. I have a dog that's like a cat and it's just been him and I, um, and he's, I don't know. The first week he was ignoring me. Sure. He was like, what are you doing here? The second week he was attached to me to the point where I'd turn around and he'd be there. And I was like, okay, you don't need to. Third week he got so agitated by the delivery people. And he's just like, my house, you can't come here and give us packages. Half of them are for him. Oh yeah. I'm like, this you is know? a, ba this is a box of treats, dude. Like, so that you don't bark at the people. You think he'd go more grateful. <laughs> he's, he's 12. I mean, there's no reckoning. We have a joke. My husband and I have a joke. He's, He's like a, a hardened war vet because he no. just acts like he's seen some shit, really. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, we love him. He's grumpy Gus, but yes. he, he was my, uh, he was, I adopted him when I was in my 20s. And so oh, he just kind okay. of came along for the ride. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're coming towards the end and this has yes. been a lovely conversation. I could talk to you truly for hours. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so uh, I always like to ask my guests if there's anything that they would like to promote. So go for it. Yes, I actually have a couple of things. Um, one is a blog that I write. It's at www.carolinascorner.com. And that's uh, K-A-R-O-L-I-I-N-A-S-K-O-R-N-E-R.com. Um, it's a, just a personal blog full of musings. Um, there's kind of a um, more of my personal story there. I think I've maybe posted twice in the last six months, so not as frequent as I should. Um, I'm also in the middle of taking some college courses, and I'm hoping that once those are done here in about a month, I'll have more time to be able to devote to the blog because I, I really enjoy writing and I really like sharing my writing. Um, and I'm also one of the hosts of the weekly radio show called Query on WORTFM in, here in Madison. Um, WORT is just a community-run radio station, volunteer-driven, and Query is a um, show that comes on Wednesday nights from 7 to 7.30 Central Time. Um, and we talk about various topics in the LGBTQ 
community, both in Madison and, and beyond. Um, some of the shows that I've hosted have dealt with the Madison Gay Hockey Association, uh, the Team Trans series that's on hold, um, as well as a couple of other things. I've only been doing that for a couple of months. Um, but yeah, um, there's also other great stuff. We also, you know, play music from local queer artists and bands, and it's a lot of fun. So I encourage you to check that out if you get the time. That website is www.wortfm.org. Uh, I love those. And uh, as always, to my listeners, all of this information and, um, you know, links, they're going to be in the description um, as always, making it super easy for you to connect with Carolina and her story. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, we've come towards the end. Yes. Again, lovely conversation. Do you have any parting words? Just thank you so much, Bianca, for, for first of all, posting that blurb in the Peloton group. And I'm so glad I found it and so glad that we connected. And thank you to the listeners um, listening to this. Yeah. And thank you so much again. And I'm just so excited to tell your story. And if anything, you know, I hope it's a positive begin in a rather bleak time for yes, everyone. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Carolina. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and give us a little rating. And if you're interested in becoming a guest, please reach out to me by using one of the links to the podcast social media in the description. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day.